The following podcast contains audio extracted from videos on the Mythology Explained YouTube channel. Please note that there are two narrators for this podcast, myself, Silas, and Zach. Please enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to Mythology Explained. In today's video, we are going to dive into the Divine Comedy, focusing on the Empyrean, the place of pure light, love, and energy where God, angels, and the souls of the saved reside. Unlike the nine circles of hell, the nine levels of purgatory, and the nine spheres of heaven, the Empyrean exists outside the confines of the universe, transcending space and time. It is a place so far beyond what the human mind can comprehend that Dante, even while his perception was preternaturally augmented by the presence of the divine, could only bear witness to visions that imparted the roughest outline Unable to understand, let alone perceive, the finished work, the mastery and majesty of it. We are going to begin by quickly covering how Dante got to heaven, then going over how heaven is structured, then going over the primum mobile, the ninth sphere of heaven, and then going over the Empyrean, what it is and what Dante experienced while he was there. Alright, let's get into it. After braving the depths of hell, Plunging ever deeper down through the infernal abyss, all nine of its circles, Dante and Virgil, our pair of intrepid poets, climb down Satan's body and pass through the center of the earth. When they come out the other side, they emerge a bit of the way up Mount Purgatory, which towers up to the heavens. Because of this, they are forced to go down so that a full ascent can be made, beginning at the very bottom. The purpose of Mount Purgatory is purification, not punishment. In Hell, the souls of the sinful are tormented for all of eternity, and escape is prevented by demons and monsters. In Purgatory, on the other hand, there is suffering, but the intent of this suffering is to cleanse and is not a product of condemnation. The pinnacle of Mount Purgatory is the Garden of Eden, and it is there that Virgil and Dante depart. As a virtuous pagan, Virgil's soul resides in Limbo, the first circle of hell, so he cannot accompany Dante on the final segment of his journey, precluded from entering the paradise of heaven. Beatrice, who it was that sent Virgil to guide Dante, appears and assumes the role as Dante's guide. The conceptualization of heaven and the divine comedy aligns with the Ptolemaic conceptualization of the universe which, in turn, informed the medieval conceptualization of the universe, which was geocentric rather than heliocentric. Ptolemy's model of the universe, as described in Almagest, placed the Earth at the center of the celestial bodies orbiting it in the following order. The Moon, the closest celestial body to the Earth, then Mercury, Venus, the Sun, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. Beyond Saturn's sphere was the sphere of fixed stars, which did not move relative to each other, but rotated around the Earth as a collective once per day. In Paradiso, the first eight spheres follow Ptolemy's structure, meaning the first celestial sphere is that of the Moon, the second Mercury, and so on, continuing in this way until the eighth, which is the celestial sphere of fixed stars. It is worth noting that the structure of heaven is antithetical to that of hell. Heaven is ascending, each sphere contained within a larger subsequent sphere. And hell is descending, shaped like a funnel, each circle containing a smaller subsequent circle. The ninth sphere, the primum mobile, is where Dante's conceptualization of heaven 
and the cosmological work of Ptolemy part ways. The prima mobile, the first move sphere, is this final sphere constituted by the physical universe. It is directly moved by God's light and love, and the eight subordinate spheres encased within are in turn moved by it. Every celestial body of the heavens, from the innermost moon to the outermost stars. In this way, God is the energy source that powers the prima mobile, and the prima mobile is the mechanism that drives the dynamic cycles of all creation. At the center of the ninth sphere is a concentrated point of light, described as so intense that a person would be made blind if they didn't immediately avert their gaze. This point of light is God, and surrounding him are nine concentric rings. These rings are the nine angelic choirs, mirroring the delineation expounded by Pseudo-Dionysius in his seminal treatise, The Celestial Hierarchy. As asserted in it, there are nine choirs and three orders, three choirs comprised by each order. The first order is closest to God and is most concerned with understanding his will. Just as the primum mobile moves the heavens, so does the first angelic order pass along its understanding to the next, and so forth creating a cascade known as the divine illumination. By contrast, the lowest angelic choir is closest to the earth and most concerned with the implementation of God's will. In the stratification formulated by Pseudo-Dionysius, the nine angelic choirs are seraphim, cherubim, and thrones, the first order, dominions, virtues, and powers, the second order, and principalities, archangels, and angels, the third order. The nine concentric rings encircling God are ordered accordingly, the seraphim making up the first ring, and the angels making up the ninth and final ring, encompassing all eight of the higher choirs. Dante's transition from the prima mobile to the Empyrean is put concisely by Beatrice. We have ascended from the greatest sphere to the heaven of pure light. The Empyrean is described as the highest part of heaven, the realm of pure light and the abode of God angels, and the blessed souls. It is a place beyond space and time, distinct from the other celestial spheres that Dante travels through. While those spheres are part of the created universe and move in harmony with it, the Empyrean exists outside of this structure. So, in Dante's cosmology, while all the celestial spheres, from the sphere of the moon to the prima mobile, are indeed the graduated planes of heaven and that they are paradisiacal and celestial in nature, the Empyrean stands as the most sublime and ultimate expression of heaven. It is the eternal realm of divine essence, pure actuality, and unmediated beatitude. Put simply, the Empyrean is part of heaven, but not part of the universe. It is a realm of pure energy, light, love, and spirit that exists beyond the confines of everything manifest in God's creation, beyond even the circles of hell, the levels of purgatory, and the celestial spheres of heaven. The divine comedy is told in the first person through Dante's eyes, and here in the Empyrean, the main impression that's conveyed is one of absolute overwhelmingness. Everything experienced is beyond what the senses can capture and beyond what the mind can comprehend. Dante explains throughout that his words are only the poorest approximation, true understanding only possessed by God, even the greatest of the angels falling woefully short. The light, the love, the purity of it all, is something ineffable, something that can only really be felt, these feelings unable to be adequately articulated, something like how a droplet of water can join the ocean 
while never being able to understand the ocean. Here's the passage that describes the beginning of Dante's time in the Empyrean. As a flash of lightning striking on our sight destroys our visual spirits, so that the eye cannot make out even a brighter light, just so an aureole burst all about me, swathing me so completely in its veil that I was closed in light and could not see. The love that keeps this heaven ever the same greets all who enter with such salutation, and thus prepares the candle for his flame. No sooner had these few words penetrated my hearing than I felt my powers increase beyond themselves, transcendent and eluded. My eyes were lit with such a new given sight that they were fit to look without distress on any radiance, however bright. As stated in the passage, Dante was enveloped and filled with an all-consuming light. Though all his experiences hitherto paled in comparison, this light was but a primer, a preliminary necessity to prepare him for what was to come next, which was the ideal of sublimity, a place, presence, and power with such light and love that it made the sun seem nothing more than an inert and desolate mass, frozen in the vacuum of space. Because the Empyrean exists outside of the universe, it is immaterial, a spiritual realm rather than a physical one. Thus, Dante's experience here is unique. What he sees isn't the Empyrean as it truly is, which is utterly beyond his perceptive powers. Instead, he's granted a series of visions that approximate what the Empyrean constitutes. First a golden river, then a rose, and finally the Trinity. A river of light flows before Dante. Its banks are of enamel and are covered in the vibrant bloom of spring, myriad upon myriad of perfect flowers carpeting either side. Sparks shot forth from the river and landed on the flowers and would then shoot back into the flow, new sparks constantly admitted to take their place. Dante was told to drink, so he bent down and tasted the water of paradise. And once he had, the river changed, the stretch of its stream morphing into round radiance. It became like the light of a cosmic lamp, which was the very light of God. The light dwarfed the sun, both in size and brilliance. It was cast from the prima mobile, which not only received God's light directly, thus imbued with the power to move the universe, but also reflected that light back into the Empyrean. Near the top is a rose, the throne of the saved, of such size and beauty that it boggles the mind. Here's the passage. There in heaven, a lamp shines in whose light the Creator is made visible. That lamp forms an enormous circle, such that its circumference, tied to the sun as a bright belt, would be too large by much. It is made up entirely of the reflection of rays that strike the top of the first moved sphere, imparting to it all its power and motion. So, tier on tier, mounting within that light, there glowed, reflected in more than a thousand circles, all those who had won returned to heaven's height. And if so vast a nimbus can be found within its lower tier, what then must be the measure of this rose at its topmost round? Two hosts are described. One is the souls of those who ascended to heaven, and the other is the angels. The souls are manifest as a white rose, and the angels are described as having golden wings and as being brighter than the sun's reflection off of earthly snow. Their great multitude moved incessantly like a cosmic colony of bees. Visiting the rose, 
there imparting the light and love of God, then returning to the essence of the divine to once again bathe in the light and love of God, bearing back to him the bliss of the souls of heaven like bees bearing honey back to the hive. When Dante next turned to Beatrice, he saw that she was no longer there, Saint Bernard now by his side in her stead. She had departed to rejoin the rose, once again enthroned with the blessed. Dante explains that the distance between the bottom of the deepest sea and the furthest firmament was surpassed now by the distance between him and Beatrice. This, though, was of no consequence, for he could still see her clearly. Saint Bernard was chosen as the final guide because, among other reasons, of his devotion to the Virgin Mary, who plays an important part in the final pages of the Divine Comedy, as we'll see. Canto 32, the penultimate canto, is dedicated to the description of the cosmic rose. It is described as a heavenly stadium, tiered as everything in the three spiritual realms is tiered, nine circles of hell, nine levels of purgatory, and nine celestial spheres. The more blessed the soul is, the higher it is situated. The Virgin Mary resides on the top tier. Across from her is the throne of John the Baptist, the man who baptized Jesus. Below her on the second tier is Eve, the first woman, and on the third tier is Beatrice. Neither the number of petals nor the number of tiers is specified. When Dante first entered the Empyrean, he had to be prepared to witness the visions that were to unfold before him. Similarly, he now had to be prepared a second time. Saint Bernard prayed to the Virgin Mary on Dante's behalf, and as a result, Dante felt himself swell with power and suffused with calm and content. Following this intercession, Dante now augmented, he was ready to experience the apotheosis of his odyssey, a direct vision of God. First there was a dazzling light, and this light was all that Dante could see. It utterly consumed him. The more Dante looked, the more he was imbued with God's love, endowing him with a power of perception far beyond what was possible for a person on earth. With his perception thus enhanced, Dante discerned something in the light, three circles that were one circle. Paradoxically, each one was distinct while simultaneously sharing the same circumference with the other two. Two of them were rainbow-colored, and one of them was fiery, and in one there was the image of a man. What Dante sees is symbolic of the Holy Trinity and the hypostatic union. The three aspects of the Trinity are God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each is perfectly united and perfectly independent. Together they are God, individually they are God, and each one is also its own entity. This is conveyed by the three circles that are one circle. The hypostatic union is the doctrine that explains Jesus' dual nature. Jesus the man, who is perfectly human, and Jesus the God, who is perfectly God. This is conveyed by one of the three circles, the one that corresponds to Jesus, having the image of a man inside of it. Throughout this encounter, Dante shares two main sentiments that the experience was so profound the mind can't communicate it and language can't capture it, and that the experience, the understanding of it, fades. Dante repeatedly invokes God to guide him in his writing, beseeching him for a modicum of divine clarity to facilitate the flow of his script so that his faculties might at least impart a rough understanding to the reader. In this endeavor, Dante compares himself with a suckling infant. 
Now in my recollection of the rest, I have less power to speak than any infant wetting its tongue yet at its mother's breast. In the presence of God, Dante's perception is augmented to a superhuman level, affording him, intellectually speaking, a glimpse of the divine, the most basic understanding. This augmentation, though, wasn't permanent, predicated on being in the presence of God as it was. So Dante's understanding fades, becoming akin to a memory from a past life someone has a vague recollection of. Dante describes this as waking from a dream. As one who sees in dreams and wakes to find the emotional impression of his vision still powerful while its parts fade from his mind, just such am I, having lost nearly all the vision itself, where in my heart I feel the sweetness of it yet to still and fall. In the end, what's left is spiritual enlightenment rather than cognitive illumination, retaining feeling rather than knowledge, an unconscious alignment with the divine that infuses the soul. And that's it for this video. If you enjoy the content, please like and subscribe. Thanks for watching.